0: This is the Great Escape Podcast, episode one. We are going for LiveDog in T-30. All systems are the mm-hmm. Today, I'm talking to Matt Jackson, known all over social media as Socially M. Matt, welcome. Uh, good to
1: be here. Thanks,
0: Joe. No problem. So, Matt, you are uh, the number two digital influencer in the UK, I think it is. Is that the right title?
1: Oh, yeah, number two of the UK's digital influences, yes. Okay, there we go. I want to get the words right, because obviously there are so many different...
0: Measures of these y- yeah, things. Yes,
1: you know. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no. and that was according to Rise Global. Yeah.
0: And your move into digital media and social media as a, as a career was not automatic... So tell us a little bit about your, your story, where you were what you were doing when you discovered social media.
1: OK. My, well, my move into social media was kind of boredom-driven, if I'm honest. I had a 17-year corporate career, one of the UK's uh, six big uh, utility companies. Primarily working in complaints, which teaches you a lot about people, teaches you a lot about yourself and also teaches you a lot about community and how you deal with that kind of thing. And I think uh, I was fortunate enough to have quite a switched-on boss who uh, kind of spotted, sort of, maybe 14 years in, that perhaps I was getting a little bit bored with things. Perhaps I kind of resigned myself to the fact that this is all there is. Uh, I'm good at it, there's good money, but this is all there is. Uh, And he kind of approached me one day and sort of said... Well, basically that, I can see you're not yourself at the moment, Um, what's going on? And my answer basically was, uh, I'm getting a little bit bored of complaints, which, you know, after a little while, anyone will. Uh, And I sort of asked, is there anything else? And fortunately, we were at a time where it was the advent of social media, Uh, businesses were starting realize it was a good thing it was something they could use to sell to reach customers some of them were realizing that others were just realizing it was there and other businesses were on it um, so the company I was in started a digital project basically to move kind of our customer service more digital more online actually provide a service through our website through Twitter through wherever else and essentially the project they gave me was British gas are on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We should be too. Can you work out how to make that happen? And yeah, at the time, I absolutely jumped at the chance and said, "Yes, I will work out how to make that happen." Um, and by progression, yes, I will make that happen. So we went from uh, an absolute no presence to sort of 10 million followers online, you know, within the, sort of the first six months. So, um, and in hindsight, incidentally, I've also learned that. You should not be on social media just because British gats are on social media, (laughs) Yeah, funnily enough. (laughs) But towards the end of that project,
0: which I think was four years...
1: Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah.
0: You were needing a change. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although you weren't being honest with
1: yourself, were you? No, not really. I had got into the habit of bearing in mind, again, social media was new to everyone. Uh, We didn't have the kind of superstars in it that we do now, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuks, the Ted Rubins, uh, you know, all those kind of guys, they just didn't exist. Or uh, I think we had a couple of books by Seth Godin, which was about tribes and communities working together. But the information wasn't out there. We were literally breaking ground as we went. So I was learning as I went. And as a result, I'd set up my own kind of business pages to test things, uh, I'd created communities quite around spurious things, but just to test functionality, to test things to see what we could do, before obviously I applied them to one of these giant energy companies accounts, which seemed sensible at the time yeah. but in doing so, I kind of got bitten by the whole social media community bug and kind of went, oh do you know what, this is infinitely doable, it has so many applications, not just for business, but you know And I was working out, Facebook was great for building communities. I was working out, Twitter was great for outreach and speaking to people that you would have never found in a normal networking group, for example. These were people all around the world that suddenly we were talking on a daily basis. And so I kind of lived this half exploratory kind of researchy kind of role uh, and then actually at work put these things into practice for a, a utility company. And you, you always get the same thing. There's always this argument between a marketing department and a customer service department as to where social media sits. And obviously marketing believe it sits in marketing, <laughs> and customer service believe it's you know a channel to serve customers. So that argument was always going on, and I found myself obviously doing my job, but actually enjoying more of the exploratory stuff I was doing outside of work. Um, And it got to a point, I guess, kind of where that balance perhaps was the wrong way round. Let's let's put it that way. I was more invested in doing my stuff than I was in doing the company stuff. So when we talk about the six steps
0: to freedom, in a way that choice was you had already subconsciously decided you were moving your activity, your energy, your focus Mm. away from the day job. And at, at some point, you had to shift a step too and understand that it was possible to change because you'd had this corporate career, the bills were being paid in the in the day job. Mm. Was there a moment for you when you suddenly thought, this is possible, or was it forced upon you?
1: Um, it, it's one of those things. I don't think there was like a, a Eureka or a Harajuku moment. There was nothing really like that. I think yeah. I actually began again subconsciously I began a program of self-sabotage um, my own little guerrilla war on myself of literally tripping myself up or just doing things which were maybe a bit out of character or doing things for I don't want to say attention because I don't really think that's what I was doing but actually I was doing things that suited me because it was all social media that was kind of my thing but I'd start doing things that marketing didn't want but I thought were right. Um so there is that balance between a what I thought was right and the right way of doing it and b I work for a big company and this is how they've decided to do it. Yeah. But there was also, you know, even tiny things of just self sabotage, you know, saying the wrong thing in a meeting or making things late or not happen because I didn't agree with them, which, you know, in in a corporate world, that's kind of not how it works. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, subconsciously I think I was self-sabotaging, and I was pushing myself away from the corporate job. I think there's also an element, though, that when you've done that kind of thing for 17 years, it's secure. Yeah, it's what you're used to. You know, you've kind of been groomed into it from school. You know, I did a summer job, I did an apprenticeship, and all of a sudden, 17-year career, and it was all I'd known. And yes, the, I guess the, the right-hand side of my brain was saying, "This is what you need to do. You've got a mortgage to pay." And the left-hand side, or when the right-hand side was asleep, was saying, no, don't do that, press this button, no, don't do that, tell him he's an idiot. And it just... I don't know, it became... I was more invested in my way of doing social media than I was in the company's way. Um, And, yeah, it got to a point where, again, fortunately, I had the same intuitive boss that had picked me up four years earlier, and he basically sort of said to me, look, I can see what's happening I don't understand it. You've got uh, a future here. But if you keep doing these kind of things, you don't have a future here. There's only so many times any decent boss will give you those warnings. Yep. And it basically got to a point where I... uh, You had to go. I basically used up all my lifelines. And, uh, (laughs) yeah, he showed me the door. Uh, The company showed me the door. Um, And, yeah, I think, like I say, in, in terms of your six steps, the actual decision... Obviously, was all mine, but I think I made it subconsciously and waited for someone to tell me, "Look, you need to go." You need to go. Yeah.
0: And then for for you, so you you've you've now got no job. Yes. Children and a mortgage to pay. Yes. Children to feed and mortgage they were, to pay. They were thrilled. <laughs> yeah! Yay! And it took you a while to believe that you could do it.
1: Yeah. I'll I'll be honest, I still struggle with that now.
0: We all do. Mm. That whole imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Despite being top of one particular ranking.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Again, because especially in a field like social media, where you know so much of it is made up, you know, it's content, it's created, it's created for an audience. So when you know, yes, you've hit number two on a certain ranking, you kind of do celebrate because it's good. And then, yeah, a few weeks later you think, hmm, "I know there are other rankings. I'm not on those. I know there are other lists of you know, yeah. people to speak to, and I'm not on those lists." And yeah, you do start but then also, you then you know people you do meet through that kind of industry, you see them on lists, and then you think, "Oh, well, why are they on the list?" And I'm not. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah, you do it takes a, a little while to believe. But initially straight out of the gate, having kind of pushed myself out of a corporate career because I was more invested in uh social media for business and that kind of thing. It it probably took me maybe 18 months before I even went Oh, do you know what? You should do that for a living. You know, you should be self-employed. Yeah. You should tell businesses how to do it. You should ask them to pay you to tell them how to do it. And I'll, I'll... So it took you a period of time, that like 18 months, to sort
0: of choose what to do next? Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, I think... And again, this is a thing, because I think subconsciously I waited for my boss to say, there's the door, you know, you, you you can't work here anymore. I think I almost did exactly the same thing without a job, waiting for someone to say... No, there's the door, there's your opportunity, go and take it. I also think, again, because you're so ingrained that uh, I need a job, I need to pay the mortgage, this is how these things work, they're all intrinsically linked, that I spent a lot of time applying for jobs in the social media world that I didn't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Either because, again... uh, So
0: you kept being drawn back into the, the corporate
1: environment. Yeah, because that was comfortable, that was what I knew, and, you know, that was... Um so yeah, the actual belief to break away from the whole thing, um, probably didn't come for about eighteen months. And in fact it the initial bit probably didn't come until I actually landed my first client, at which point I went, Oh right, someone is prepared to pay me to do this So yes, it is the right thing I should be doing. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, then the bills are all paid, you know, then there's money left over and you just think, right, so this is the future, this is what I should be doing. Yeah.
0: And yet one day you thought, no, actually, I should be doing this for myself, not as a employee, but as a self-employed person. Yeah. Did you have a plan? No.
1: No. <laughs> um, no, no, this is, the, the again, the random thing. And it's also interesting to know, you know, that there is that whole phrase that, you know, you know, no plan survives contact with the Enemy, me, yeah. And ultimately, yeah, initially I thought, right, this is what I need to do, this is what I need to do. Applying for jobs wasn't working because I, well, I was getting interviews... I thought interviews were going well because I was sharing what I knew about social media. But those companies wanted a marketer. Those companies wanted someone that sold. They didn't want how I did things. So essentially, I was a square peg in in trying to get into round holes that were you know wasn't obviously working. Um, I got my first big client um, and the first client that actually said, we love the way you've talked about it. We're really interested in how you would do this. Go and do it and we'll pay you. And at that point, yeah, I went, yes. Now I should be self-employed. But again, realistically, I was still waiting for that validation to say, yes, you should be self-employed. Obviously, I knew a lot of self-employed people. And a lot of them were saying, you know, why aren't you doing this already? You know, why aren't you doing it? And initially, I think it was purely because I didn't know enough about how self-employment worked. I didn't know that, you know, should I be a sole trader or a limited company? I didn't know what the implications of either were. Because, you know, you don't get told that stuff that's something you break away and do, but you have to forge away and do it yourself. So no, I think that's kind of what held me up where I actually made the decision. And again, that thing about no plan survives contact with the enemy, the plan was after the big client, get more big clients. Um, And initially I was managing other people's social media, so I would take on another business's accounts and I would be them. So I would live and breathe their values and I would put that across uh, through social media. But then, you know... That kind of changed. I then started getting booked to speak at places, and then I thought, you know what, I like talking about it. So, the whole plan about getting more clients was I realised quite early on that actually I wanted to do them all justice. So, if I had more than three or four at a time, I didn't think I was doing them justice because they weren't getting the right focus from me. And then getting booked to talk at places, I thought, that's what I want to do now because this is, you know. I enjoy the talking, I enjoy people listening, and I enjoy the feedback. So, yeah, the plan changed. Well, the plan changes all the time. Plans always do. Yeah.
0: Do you think if you had a a more deliberate plan, it might have happened more quickly or more stably?
1: Yeah, definitely, yeah. If I'd looked at um, actually setting myself up, I was going to say in the traditional way, but actually actually just planning how I would set up. You know, you think about, what your business is, what your values are, what the services are you offer, working out what I would need to charge to pay my bills or whatever else, and then actually, you know, website, social media channels, networking, doing it all the right way and building up the contacts, building up the businesses, then maybe maybe I would. But I think the interesting thing about what I was trying to do uh, by... The services I offered... Again, I don't want to use the word self-sabotaging again... <laughs> okay. But, essentially, the whole point of what I offered businesses was to work with them and take on their social channels until we got to a point where they could do it themselves. Yeah. So, essentially, my work was to do myself out, out of, of a business. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, if I had planned that better then, yeah, the packages might have been slightly different. <laughs> but, um, I might have worked... You know, I worked on rolling contracts for sort of 12, uh, 12 months at a time and then monthly at a time. So I think the longest I ever worked with a single client was maybe two, three years. But I could leave knowing that I I was quite proud I'd got them to that point. But in terms of business, not good business because I've just... I take issue
0: with that. I think good business is always to do the best for the client. Yeah. But what you weren't doing was designing the business
1: to support you as well. No, no. And I seriously beat myself up about it as well. Because where, um, you know, the first big client I had, fantastic. Worked with them for two years. Um, The pay was great. The perks were great. And at the end of two years, I left incredibly proud. I got fantastic testimonials from them. And then two weeks later, I was absolutely gutted telling myself, you've lost a customer. And it's the same mentality as in you've lost a job. And it's not the right mentality because you haven't lost a It feels the same for all of us, yeah. Yeah, you've fulfilled the contract. You've done exactly what you set out to do. You've been paid to do it. On to the next one. Yeah. But again, that mentality kind of dogged me for the first few customers. That, oh, you've lost a customer. And it's not. It should be a success. That should be on your website as a case study. And for me, I was still, oh my God, I've lost a customer. I need more. And it's, yeah. So again, planning probably would have avoided that, but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So how we got where we are.
0: (laughs) And I know the career has morphed and changed and and is continuing to, and I don't really want to necessarily go digging on into that because one of the nice things about the Great Escape podcast is it's short so our listeners can escape. Yes. But you and I could carry on talking for ages yeah (laughs) but really i think what the the key point that i wanted to having known your story was that you you were trapped in this career you'd done that classic thing school apprenticeship job never leave just life carries on yeah and actually you have made the change life is now very different Mm. and most of the time happier not all of the time happier because life is life yeah (laughs) but um I think what you've been talking about is actually you've got more control over what you do on a day-to-day basis basis, and that that is a good feeling
1: I think that's the escape yeah it's weird but yeah that little element of control that little element of choice again that I can choose what I want to do Um, Even down to, you know, where before I was applying for jobs and getting turned down because I was the square peg trying to fit in a round hole, I now get to the point where if I see a company that's come to me as a round hole, that I can actually say, no, I don't think I'm the right fit for you. I don't think you're going to benefit from me working with you. You know, in the nicest possible way. And there are other people that will fit what you want to do. But even that element of choice, whereas before it would be, I need these customers, I need this, I need... Now, the actual freedom, that actual escape, is being able to say, no, I don't think this is the right fit. You know, and again, the change in the plan, also working with companies then became, actually, I want to speak. So the escape then became, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this. It's, yeah... Yeah. But I think that yeah, that's the escape—the actual freedom to make those decisions.
0: Matt, thank you so much for that. Really, really helpful. And if you want to get in touch with Matt, his uh, contact details and all the rest of it are on the show notes, greatescapepodcast.com dot com forward slash episode one. And please do share the podcast with anybody you know who is stuck in a rut and needs to escape. You can find us on all the usual podcast platforms and the website greatescapepodcast.com. I'm Stuart Morris, your change coach. Thanks very much for listening.